Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. Today we're talking about aptitudes and why they are important. What exactly are aptitudes and how are they different from abilities? I'm glad you asked. My guest today is Betsy Wills. Betsy is the founder of U-Science, the career assessment tool that I use in my coaching practice. If you are a data nerd like I am, you are in for a treat. During our conversation, Betsy shares the origin of U-Science, why it's so different from other assessment tools, and how to identify career opportunities that are a good fit for your aptitudes, abilities, interests, and values. Stick around to hear Betsy walk through a portion of my own personal U-Science results and how I can apply them in my life. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's get started. Hi, Betsy. Thanks so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Well, I'm equally thrilled to be with you, and I love that we share the same name. I know. I never get to interview a Betsy. This is so fun. (laughs) Indeed. Okay, so for my audience, I just want to say how our paths crossed, and then I'll ask you to give a, a quick introduction. So anybody who knows about me and the coaching that I do knows that I use a program called U-Science for my assessment tool. And I came across a TED Talk by a woman named Betsy Wills, who is one of the founders of U-Science. And I reached out to you because, well, for obvious reasons, not to mention the fact that your name was Betsy, and knew that I had to talk to you. So before we get started, because I have a million questions. But before we get started, can you just take a minute and introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Um, So my name is Betsy Wills, and I am the co-founder of U-Science, which is an assessment tool that is now being used in about 25% of all high schools in the United States, as well as by many, many thousands of adults. And I wish, I personally think this should be in every high school. Um, and I'm going to do my best to make that happen. Well, good. I mean, I think it's growing fast. I think people are becoming uh, much more aware of the value that um, understanding a, a bigger set of data around yourself can do for you in making much better decisions. And how did you how did you start this? Like, how did it begin? Well, um, I was actually 32 years old, and I had started having my family quite young when I was 26 years old. And my grandmothers um, were all still alive. Okay. Uh, My, my grandmothers and my husband's grandmothers, fortunately, and all of them were um, nanogenarians and one was a hundred. And one morning I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm 32 years old. I'm going to live to be a (laughs) hundred. And that's an awful long time. And I saw how quickly my own children were growing and I just, you know, didn't do, it wasn't difficult to do the math. I realized I'm going to be here a long time and I had a lot of leeway and uh, runway to make decisions about myself. So I got very serious about uh, figuring out what my next step might be. And uh, a friend of mine suggested I go and do something called Johnson O'Connor, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. It's also in 11 other cities in the United States. Um, It came out of um, Boston in the 20s, really, the 1920s, and they've tested over a million people since that time. 
But to be honest with you, it was an expensive, um, per- it was an expensive career test. It, it cost about $700. It took two days. Um, I availed myself of that opportunity and it was life changing. It really was. Um, what it was, was aptitude testing. And so you, you know, you go to this center and they give you these analog tests, um, they feel like games. Uh, honestly, you felt a little bit like a, a lab rat, though, <laughs> in there. <laughs> and then after those two days, they sit you down and they uh, talk about your aptitudes. And it really propelled me to make some um, big decisions. I went back to graduate school right after that. In fact, I enrolled the next weekend as a special student <laughs> at Vanderbilt, which is crazy. Um and went on the weekends because, you know, during the week I was working and um, with my children and, and just really felt like I should only do it on the weekend. So I did the weekend program. And then um, right after I graduated, I thought, well, I'll write a career curriculum to help other people make these transitions. So I wrote one called The Brain Spa. And this is uh, 19, this is the year 2000, I think. And the brain spa was really designed for women coming back into the workforce. I said, oh, I'll, I'll help these people. I'll send them to Johnson O'Connor if they can afford it. And I'll coach them through this process. Well, it ended up that my number one client base were actually 40-year-old male lawyers. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> and so that's when the light bulb went off for me, where I was like, wait a minute, you know, everyone has this nagging feeling, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, that maybe I'm not in the exact right career, or maybe I'm not as fulfilled as I want to be. Now, let me be sure and, you know, be clear about this. I would never tell a 40-year-old male lawyer to go quit his job, okay? That is irresponsible. <laughs> but what what I did find the value of um, understanding your aptitudes and doing this exercise was that, um, Oftentimes, it isn't the job that we really need to be putting on the witness stand, but rather there's something missing in our lives, like an avocation or something we can do to make our day-to-day jobs more tolerable or shift slightly our day-to-day jobs to make them uh, better and more in line with our aptitudes. So it could be, you know, you're in a job where you're not getting enough use of certain aptitudes and you could volunteer to be writing the newsletter for the for the um, organization or taking on a different role, training people or any number of things. Um, but usually it's not a wholesale throw out the baby with the bathwater. So let's talk about aptitudes and assessments. Uh, I think everybody knows there are countless interest inventories, personality tests, all the different, you know, people have done them, Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finder, all Enneagram, all of those. What's different about you science? And I think a point of clarification is what do you mean by aptitudes and how is that different? Okay, so great question. So I did mention Johnson O'Connor. That was the um, kind of the mothership uh, of aptitude testing started in the 20s. Um, there's a few others, the Ball Research Foundation, um, AIM in Dallas, and, and then you science, which is by far the most economical way to do it and is the exact same set of tests. Um, aptitude testing is entirely different than personality testing or that interest inventory you probably took in high school that gave you a bunch of career suggestions. And here's how it's different. Anytime you're answering an assessment where you're asked to give your own opinion, 
for instance, on a, on a scale of one to five, what do you prefer? Being with a bunch of people or working alone? Or on a scale of one to five, would you rather be installing cabinets or researching a medical, uh, you know, drug discovery? Which is kind of a joke right. that they would neither, neither, <laughs> right? Neither, exactly. <laughs> Those are self-reported questions. You self-report your answer, and the fact is that all of us are generally poor judges of ourselves, and even worse of others. Okay, <laughs> but anytime you're you're asked to self-report your answer, you should, you know, the flag should go up. These are good assessments for conversation starters. They um, have some you know, face validity, but they really have no comparison to something like an aptitude test where you cannot game it. Aptitude testing is often misunderstand, you, uh, misunderstood. I mean, you can't study for it. It's not like an SAT. It's, it's literally will feel like doing a bunch of games. Um, you really don't even know what you're being assessed for. So these assessments have been around, like I said, since the 20s. They were heavily researched um, also by the military in the 1940s, for instance, when we had to put a million people to work. The government put a whole lot of money and research into um, trying to figure out, for instance, who they should slot in different, different jobs, like who we should train to fly the plane, who we should train to jump out of the plane, <laughs> who we should train to navigate the train, the, the plane. Um, these are all very different sets of aptitudes. So that's where the research basically started, and it's come a long way since then. So, and as I mentioned earlier, I use U-Science in my career coaching, and it's been a game changer. I mean, I've seen all the assessments out there. I've been through, taking a bunch of them myself and explored them. And to your point, this one's very different. It's not subjective. You can't game it. You can't really sway it in your direction. It's it's just based on, on your aptitudes. And you talk about this. I think you talk about it in the TED Talk too, the difference between aptitudes and abilities. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think you, you may mean, yeah, aptitudes and, and skills, right? Um, so think about aptitudes as the seeds of our skills, not the skills themselves. So you can have all of the aptitude in the world, uh, for instance, a spatial aptitude, but it doesn't make you an architect. And to become an architect, you would need learning and training and, and skill building. But if you do have a spatial aptitude, um, the learning will feel like falling off a log. It'll feel easy. You'll be in your flow. So the aptitude is important to know you have, and then you can see where you might apply it, where this is a, an aptitude that's called for in a, in a strong way. Now, that doesn't mean that if you don't have uh, a strong aptitude in something that it's a dream killer. It just means like, okay, I may not have a strong aptitude in, in a spatial ability, so I'm going to have to put that much more work into learning certain skills that require it. But again, that's where you could be more motivated to do it. But the first thing to know is where do your aptitudes lie that are the strongest and most intense? Because you might want to explore ways that uh, you can put those to use in skill building that are a good fit for that aptitude. And through you science, as I've seen with my own results, not only does it tell you what your aptitudes are, but it tells you what type of careers you might want to investigate based on those aptitudes, along with your interests that you also identify. Um, but as a special treat today, we're going to walk through some of my own you science results, right? And right. 
kind of give people an inside look and, and give me kind of a better idea of more about me and who I am. So this is going to be fun for me. Um, I'm putting myself out there. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to go through one by one, all of your pattern um, today, but I thought we could hit some highlights if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listeners, I, you can't see the report, but I'm telling you, it's very comprehensive. The assessment takes about 90-ish minutes. Um, you don't have to do it in one sitting. You can break it up into small pieces. And then it, it spits out a pretty comprehensive um, report um, or results that I, when I work with my clients, walk through with them step by step. But as Betsy said, we're just going to do some highlights today. Great. Um, okay. So... One, uh, we, we tested you on both your approach to your work, as well as what I, we call these core aptitudes that really de- help you determine um, sort of, again, that skill building, those seeds of your skills, okay? And some of them really stood out with your pattern, so I thought we would, would hit on those. Um, one of the things we test is, it's called inductive reasoning, And what we do in this assessment is we give you about six pictures. You won't, you know, know what those are going to be. It's not ruining it for your listeners. Um, We'll give you a series of six pictures and we'll give you another series of six pictures and another series. So it keeps coming at you in in about a seven minute exercise. And what you're asked to do is find three of the pictures that most go together. Do you remember that test? I that sure piece? do. Okay. Yeah. So it might be, you know, a toaster and, you know, a to, you know, peanut butter sandwich. I mean, who knows? They're very simple pictures. You'll recognize them, but somehow or another, they connect to one another. And you're under time pressure to pick those, the three that go together best. Well, some people um, deliberate and, and take their time and really, you know, want to get the right answer. And other people are more, um, they make more instinct guesses. um, And they quickly just say, okay, those three go together. Next, those three go together. Next. Okay. So it's about this. This is an aptitude that we're testing your comfort with making decisions under time pressure. Okay. Now, I will tell you, Betsy, you do not want to make decisions under time pressure based on your results. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. So I like to describe uh, the aptitude. It's sort of like a continuum. And in your case, the, the, you fall on one end of the continuum, which are people who score like you typically need more data before they will jump to a conclusion. And this is really, really valuable for people who are, you know, hiring managers or risk managers or anybody who, um, you know, there there is no need for creating urgency around the decision and you don't want to be pushed. So you're the type of person who will look at, you know, 40 houses uh, before you'll, you'll purchase it. You'll want to know every single thing. And Oftentimes, you might be the person who's raising your hand in the meeting going, wait a minute, we may not have all the data we need. Does this sound familiar to you? Yes, I, I've been labeled a questioner before <laughs> because I always want more data and more answers. So that's that sounds just like me. Right. And this is so the way to think about these aptitudes is they're really have, there's no value judgment. They're neutral. So I like to describe sort of the opposite of, of where you fall on the continuum, which is someone who loves to create urgency and sometimes where there's no urgency. 
to make a decision. So they want to come in and get the decision made. Now, this is great in, say, the emergency room environment, okay, where someone comes in and they said, you know, my tongue is purple, my stomach aches, and I've got a, a you know, a, a hangnail on my toe. <laughs> and the, the doctor would say, all right, get her into triage immediately. They love that kind of make the decision under time pressure situation. Um, Wall Street traders tend to have this aptitude. A lot of times people like this love to play charades or be on a game show or read whodunits. They love coming to a conclusion under time pressure. Now, they can also drive people like you absolutely up a wall, okay? And this is where, again, understanding your aptitudes is so valuable because that neither one of these ways of, of approaching a decision is wrong. It's just understanding that we're all wired very differently. Now, you do need to manage it, though. So, Betsy, um, in your case, where you do need more facts, maybe an exhaustive amount of facts, you may find other people saying, Betsy, we're moving on. OK, or you just need to be pushed into the pool to make the decision. Gotcha. OK, OK. So knowing that is just good because not every decision should be weighted exactly the same. And so it, um, that's just something to know about yourself. But you need to be the person who will assert yourself in a situation and say, you know, I really think we need to get this new set of data I read, or let's go, you know, do this one bit more fact check, or, um, you know, you're the person who, if you were a hiring manager, would be patient enough to do the background check. And that's excellent. So that's that's sort of a power alley for you, is that um, where you fall with inductive reasoning, and you should use it to your advantage. Okay, good to know. Um, and just one more point to make for my listeners. So I took the U Science assessment a while ago and I read through my results, but I'm super excited that Betsy's here to actually not only just go through it with me, but to give me her insight, having spent years and years uh, working with U Science. And we'll be right back after a quick break. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greenie. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, (laughs) maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. (laughs) There's your first challenge of the week. (laughs) Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Okay, so shall we do another one now? Yes, please. Okay. All right. Um, another assessment that you took, we um, gave you a um, a set of words, and the you know one word might have been kitchen, and then another word may have been um, oven, and then another word may have been refrigerator. And it's hard for the listeners maybe to understand, but you're ordering these words into sort of a decision, into sort of a tree, you know, and uh, Anyway, this this aptitude is testing you on sequential reasoning. And this is basically the logic aptitude. 
Um, so for you, um, you score such that, you know, you have an extreme amount of this. Okay. It's you're, you must be very logical. So organizing say a paper in uh, you may not even need to do an outline. It's all there in front of you in your head. We say that you see the big picture very quickly and easily. Now, Betsy, guess what? Uh-oh. Not everyone does. Right? And so sort of the challenge for you sometimes might be stopping and explaining the big picture to people because you're ready to move on the minute you, you know, see the, the logic in something, but you may need to uh, exercise some patience with explaining to other people the steps along the way. You don't need to uh, see steps. You see it all in one big picture. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I spent years and years in project management. Okay. And I was always very focused on here's the vision, here's where we're going, here's what we're doing. I get it, let's go. And other people will be like, wait a minute, stop, explain that to me. Right, right. So again, it's it's a it's a very strong ability to have. And so where can you use that? And again, if I were coaching you on your job, I would say absolutely. Uh, take advantage of this and be, you know, someone who is planning, um, uh, involved in the planning of whatever, you know, project it is, because you're going to be able to see all the steps at once. And then when maybe a change happens, you can readjust it instantly in, in your mind. Now you do, again, have to communicate to other people. But people who have this ability, um, I will say too, Betsy, um, oftentimes have messy desks. I don't know how yours looks, but they don't typically. I'm going to plead the fifth right now because yes, my desk is a mess right now. Or your desktop. You could say that. Yes, exactly. But for you, it's like, I know exactly where it is. So why do I need that filing system or that calendar or whatever it is? It's all in my head, right? So, um, but the truth of the matter is, again, while this is a great ability to have, uh, the world can can get pretty complicated, as you know, and we can only keep so much in our head at one time. So when you know that you have this aptitude, sometimes the coaching is, okay, we get that you don't need the filing system or those those systems every time, but it's a good idea to kind of have them sort of somewhat organized because as life gets more complicated, you'll be more productive in using them. But people who have this aptitude also tend to like, um, you know, project management. They like organizing things. They like building systems. And sometimes they even like tearing apart a system just to rebuild it for the fun of it. <laughs> this can drive other people crazy, though, be sure you know. So um, it's, a, it's a great thing for you to have and you should, and you should use it to, to your advantage as well. But understand that it's not, it's not uh, automatic for everybody. Yeah. And I, I do recognize this about myself. And I have put systems in place. Um, now I'm like glued to my planner because I'm actually a visual person too. Like I like to have a, a paper planner. I have a calendar online, but I like to have it written out in front of me. I think for that reason, because I know if I don't, it just ends up in the abyss. Right, right. So um, let's talk about spatial visualization. Um, which is another aptitude we test. And if you remember, um, we basically showed you a piece of uh, paper that was folded and there was a hole punched through it. And then we uh, showed you six uh, options for what that piece of paper would look like after the uh, paper was unfolded, where those holes would fall. Do you remember that part? Yeah, this one made my head hurt. (laughs) I do remember it. 
Well, a lot of people do uh, um, with any of these aptitudes. And that's what's so interesting is uh, we're all so different. But some of the assessments are going to feel like, you know, falling off a log, as I said. And then some of them are going to make you want to throw the computer out the window in the middle of the assessment. Please don't do that because you really don't know how you're doing until you get your results. And I'm always surprised at how many people are just shocked when they, you know, they said, oh, I thought I quote unquote failed that one. And they actually did did very well, or it really told them something that they needed to know. Um, let me segue and just talk for a second about why these aptitudes are, are neutral. Um, for instance, one of the aptitudes that uh, I have is something called very high idea rate. Uh, we test that as well. It's the rate at which you come up with ideas. So people that have that have a, a giant flow of ideas, but it has nothing to do with the quality of their ideas. It's simply the rate at which it comes they come to them. Um, so people that have this tend to do very well in, in roles like marketing, sales, um, anything, uh, journalism, writing. But Betsy, you would not want your, your pilot to have this. Okay. So having a, a, a low aptitude is actually what unlocks um, possibilities for you as well. So what we're looking for is sort of a jagged tooth um, pattern in all of us of highs and lows in these aptitudes. Well, um, so let's get back to spatial visualization, the paper folding test. Um, as I said, some people are very frustrated with this assessment and some people wonder why anybody thinks it's hard at all. Um, this assessment is really uh, one where there's a fork in the road. Um, some people are what we call 3D visualizers. They think in three dimensions. It's very easy for them to um, see something, I'd, I'd say, in their mind's eye, visualize it. Other people um, think more abstractly. Now, in school, there's a huge uh, miss because so many people that are spatial visualizers uh, aren't really celebrated in traditional school, unfortunately, and we're losing quite a bit of our STEM talent because we um, frustrate some of those students in school if they if they can't have any kind of celebration of their work. They they're only being uh, tested on maybe things like math and and more abstract types of things. But the world's changing. It's, it's getting better. But if we could identify these spatial visualizers earlier, I think we could encourage them to be um, pursuing some, some great careers. Um, so we're glad that U-Science identifies these with this assessment. That being said, if you are a 3D visualizer, it's sort of a fork in the road. You really need to be using it in some way. Um, what I always say is 3D visualize. If, you have, if you're a 3D visualizer, it's like having a, an itch that needs to be scratched. Okay. So okay. if you do find that you score high in that, you want to find a way to use it in your everyday life. Um, if you're already, if you're still a student, you might want to investigate a lot of careers, whether it's in engineering, um, it could be in, in uh, mechanics, it could be in lots of different things, but it needs to be using a, a tangible 3D visualization somewhere. If you are out of school and are not using it in your everyday job, you really must find a way to do so, like in an avocation, such as, you know, um, take a pottery class. I mean, I know people who go and buy broken toasters at uh, garage sales, bring them home, 
disassemble them and put them back together just to get that <laughs> that exercise out. And and that's what I mean. Like any kind of uh, any of these aptitudes just need use. Find a way. Um, hopefully, it's in something you can um, be paid for, but it also just be, might maybe something for pleasure. So the spatial ability can be applied in a number of avocations. Um, there's whole listings for this, but it could be riflery, shooting, um, you know, uh, golf. It can be a lot of different things. Now, in your score, you do not have this aptitude uh, in a in a big way. Now, you're not you're not low in it. You're actually solidly in the middle, and that's an interesting place to be. I would say that uh, you don't have to use the spatial ability in your everyday work, but you probably enjoy using it in some ways. So it might be through gardening. It may be um, meeting with your architect on an addition to your house and looking at the plans together. You maybe not want to, to draw the plans, but you do understand in your mind's eye, step by step, what they're describing in 3D. But it may not be an urge to redo your living room all the time or pack the car in a certain way. For you, it's sort of a take it or leave it moment. And so, you know, I would encourage you to try different um, hobbies or, or things that use this spatial 3D visualization. But I wouldn't say that you've missed the boat by not becoming an engineer or mechanic or a surgeon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I could tell you yeah. that. But yeah, um, Packing the car. It's funny that you mentioned packing the car because I actually do enjoy doing that. It's like a Tetris game, right? Like fitting the pieces right. so there's no holes. Um, but yeah, but like engineering, architecture. Not a driver, right. You know, not me. But it's nope. nice to know. So, um, okay. Now, um, this next one we tested, I, I spoke about a moment ago, but I'll, I'll bring it up again. Um, this next one we tested is idea generation. And this is a, an, an assessment of the rate at which you come up with ideas. Betsy, it has nothing to do with the quality of your ideas. It's simply the rate at which you come up with them. So some people, like me, it comes out like a you know fire hose. Um, if you handed me a paperclip and said, what can I do with this paperclip? I mean, I'd be telling you we could, you know, rewire the house with it. We could you know, make a barrette out of it for my hair. I mean, I could just spew out a bunch of nonsense, basically. But and that's all we're testing is literally the rate at which you come up with these ideas. In your case, um, it was it, it is not a flood. Um, I would think that in your case, you deliberate over one idea at a time, very concentrated, very focused. You're able to um, block the rest of the world out and think through an idea and deliberate over it very easily. One thing that happens with um, people with idea rate at, at, like mine is we tend to interrupt people. It's very rude. <laughs> I need to be uh, keep that in check. It's a it's a great aptitude that I that I can use to my advantage in public speaking, in um, extemporaneous speaking, but. I need to give other people the floor. That's what I know about me and this aptitude. For you, you may be the person in the brainstorming meeting that has only one idea, but it's the best idea. So don't get crowded out or shut out by people who have lots of ideas and express them freely. Assert yourself. If, and you may even say in a brainstorming meeting, you know, I need to think about my answer to that. Can I come back to you tomorrow? And uh, that 
you, you basically need to understand how valuable your one idea or two ideas or slower rate of ideas might be. Because again, we're just looking at the rate, not the quality of the idea. I would be surprised though, if you um, love, um, it didn't feel taxed sometimes, for instance, in a creative writing course where there's a blank piece of paper and you're asked to just, you know, extemporaneously write about something that can be taxing for someone who scores like you do. You want to deliberate on one idea at a time. You may not like having bunches of projects going all at the same time. You might prefer to zero in on one at a time. Yeah, I think a lot of that is very true. Um, As far as idea generation, you're right. Like I am never the person that has 10 or 12 or 20 ideas. And when I'm coming up with an idea, I kind of, I want to say I overthink it, but I think I do. Like I run it through my mind and I figure out, is that really a good idea? How could it be improved before I actually want to share it? So that's very true. And I think this podcast is a little bit indicative of that too, because as I told you, and I've said on this podcast before, this started as a blog, but I really struggled with writing. Like I get a lot of writer's block. I have the ideas in my head, but getting that on paper is often um, hard to me. And I love having an interview format because I don't come up with all the topics, content, words, answers. I'm super curious and I always have lots of questions, but I love interviewing experts who can teach me and give me um, ideas and thoughts that I never would have come to on my own. Well, and there's a few other things about this, how you score in this, in this aptitude. Um, one of the things that people who score like you tend to do very well is implement ideas. That is so valuable. Um, someone who may have a, a large flow of ideas may be challenged to pick the right one to implement or to stop long enough to get it implemented. So that's a real value um, with with your score. And so execution, implementation, getting on a team where that is your role is is really big. And um, you should lean into that in as many ways as you can. I could have used this like 20 years ago. <laughs> it's never too late. It's never too late. I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, okay, so now I've taken the assessment and I'm saying this yeah, yeah. just to walk everybody else through it. I know the answer, but you know, I've taken the assessment. We I've reviewed the results either on my own or with somebody like you or me. And now what? Because I think there's a lot of power in the U science tool in a couple of different areas. I mean, obviously in identifying the aptitudes, but some of the things that I like most about it are um, that it points you to potential career areas that you could look at. And what's nice is there's a lot of filtering. So you can filter by level of education. You can filter by, is it a match for me both interest-wise and aptitude-wise? Or can I look at it just for interests or just for aptitudes? But one of the really cool things about that is when you dig down into the career, I love where you scroll down and it has the circles and the dots that line up. So for each of the aptitudes that are required in that job, where you line up to that job, that visual for me, I think is super helpful, especially when working with younger people, because it gives them kind of a picture of, is this a good fit for me? So let's talk about the, the career matching portion of the um, youth science assessment. What, um, 
What most people don't know is there is a database that has been created um, by the U.S. government and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, et cetera, that maps every single job against these aptitudes. So U-Science takes your data and maps it against all the jobs in this universe. There's thousands of jobs and it sorts and filters by your, um, your aptitude what might be the best fit against the millions of people who are already in those types of jobs. So it gives you some direction. And what I always say is it, it maybe it's most helpful for eliminating thousands of jobs uh, from your, your top sort list, because we're all suffering from a sort of a tyranny of choice and this idea that, oh, you can do anything. Well, the truth is, sure, you can do anything with effort, but what are you best suited to do? And and I would start there when I'm looking. And so many of us also suffer from um, an exposure gap. We have no idea what our opportunities might even be. We know, you know, what our father or mother does, our next door neighbor does maybe, but the amount of people that make a, a career decision because they sit next to someone on an airplane is, is shocking, honestly. So this gives you real data to um, investigate where, where your opportunities might be and then start exploring. It's not going to pigeonhole you and say, you must be, it's really going to say, here's, you know, 25 things, for instance, that you might want to look into because they're perfect fits for you across all of these aptitudes. And I love that this is applicable no matter what your age, because you, you talked about exposure, and I talk a lot about that too. It's super hard for teenagers to imagine, first of all, to imagine jobs that they've never even heard of, but even to imagine the real day-to-day of some of these jobs. Um, and and to your point, like they wouldn't even be able to investigate or explore a job if they didn't know it existed. So to be able to take an assessment like this and tell them, this is who you are, this is how you're wired, and oh, by the way, these jobs match who you are and how you're wired. That's a huge leap that I think young people can't make on their own. And look, they're not picking a job for the rest of their life. No. Um, but but they have a direction to go in and and some areas to start exploring and pursue. Right. I mean, what, what you're trying to understand is, are these activities that are listed here alongside, you know, being a producer or being a, um, you know, public relations executive, did these kinds of things sound like um, I would like them. And it gives you really thorough descriptions of those jobs, what the core tasks are involved in those jobs. What is the salary for those jobs? What's what's the national salary? What's the salary in my state? What kind of education is it going to take? So it's this treasure trove of information that you'll unlock with your aptitude results um, that you can look at at three in the morning when you're when you're starting to just you know when you finally have time to do it and and you can look at it ongoing for the next you know ten years if you want to and the truth is you're probably going to be changing your jobs many times particularly in that first twenty to thirty year old decade of your life but even later um, you can kind of look in here and understand how it personally fits you you know the analogy I often use Betsy is is uh, using interest-only assessments, which is what high schools in America have used for the last 50-some-odd years, maybe longer. And the interest survey that we're all familiar with, again, is a self-reported tool that says, you know, on a scale of one to five, I like doing X 
Y or Z, you know, building cabinets, investigating, you know, um, new cures for cancer, et cetera. Well, the ludicrousy of this is that we're asking people generally at 17 or maybe even in college, they use the exact same test, um, you know, at 23, what do you like doing? And there's there's been very little exposure to to anything at that point, admittedly. Our interests tend to get more refined as we get older and we've been exposed to more, but particularly at 17 or you know 23, it's very hard to use that as, as a guide. But that interest test does map to ONET, which is this big database. The issue is we're ba- using basically your self-reported data and spitting out career suggestions based on a little bit of data that you self-reported. For aptitude testing, that's essentially what has been happening. And what we've seen is that women and uh, people from all kinds of economically challenged communities were being given advice based on their self-report at 17 to pursue careers that were really not fits for them. Well, and I think there's a lot of people who, you're right, they get their advice from their parents uh, somebody next to them on an airplane, uh, a Netflix show, you know, they, they see uh, a CSI and they don't, they think, oh, that looks like fun. Oh, I like science. I'd be good at that. But they don't necessarily have the aptitudes for it. So yeah, I think the data, I'm, I'm kind of a data nerd. I love that there's so much data behind this and that from what I've seen with me and with my clients, it's really accurate, like surprisingly accurate. So accurate that I invited you to be on the podcast because I think it's worth talking about. What other thoughts do you have about it as far as teens and young adults go? Because the, as everybody knows, they're a very different animal than adult, right? If I'm an adult and I've worked in a career for five or 10 years and I'm going to shift careers or I'm a mom and I'm coming back into the workforce, that's very, a very different profile, right? Than somebody who's a teenager or even a young adult. Like, do aptitudes change as you get older? Okay, that's a great question. Um, so the unique thing about aptitudes is after we've completed puberty, and again, that can be different ages for different people, obviously, but after we've completed um, puberty, our aptitudes are, are stable. They largely remain the same throughout the rest of our lives, okay? So you remember, um, I mean, if you've ever seen a two-year-old, sometimes you'll see a two-year-old lining up Cheerios along a, like, like along a, a countertop, evenly spaced or something. That's actually an early uh, spatial ability coming out. So some aptitudes emerge very young and make themselves clear. Like I remember my son could build the Taj Mahal out of Legos and he was like six. And my daughter, even today at 28, she couldn't possibly do anything like that. But early, so spatial uh, ability tends to come out pretty early. And then other aptitudes actually don't emerge till we're 14, 15 years old, such as the inductive reasoning and the sequential reasoning. Um, They aren't as clear. So we don't really want to, um, you know, we're not really totally sure until you've completed puberty what your aptitudes are. But whether you're 17 27, 37, 87, if you took the uh, U Science Aptitude Test, your score pattern will be the same. And they know that from, from testing people over since the 1920s. So it's information that is stable and with you 
your whole life's journey. And again, this is just the seeds of your skills, not the skills themselves. So you will continually be developing skills based on hopefully your aptitudes. And the more that you focus your skill building on your core set of aptitudes, the better. So if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying you could build skills that don't necessarily align with your aptitudes, but it's not as easy to build those skills, right? That's right. You can build any skill. So there's nothing, it is true, you can do anything, but how much effort and motivation is going to be required is the question. Okay. This is fascinating. So parents, my, my audience is mostly parents of teens and young adults but also some adults who are contemplating a career shift. Um, What advice do you have for people to get started? I mean, obviously the assessment, but what other things should they be thinking about, talking about, investigating? Well, the first step is obviously to get the instructions and take the youth science assessment. I have found that a lot of parents enjoy taking it with their children or at the same time. And it's, it's a, fun discussion sometimes when you see how a parent might score very differently on a particular aptitude than than their child. And it's like, see, I told you. So it builds that conversation and understanding. But once you've taken the assessment, again, you get the report. And then there's also an additional report that's called a discussion guide um, describing you. And what we do in that report is we give you about 40 words that describe you that are personalized to your scores, and then an additional 40 or so statements about you. Now, these are really fun to use as a parent with your child, because when you print out that report, um, you'll inevitably have stories that back up what, what you're going to see in the report that's a describer about you know the, the person who took it. But you can also use those statements and words to um, write a college essay. Um, If you're um, doing your first LinkedIn profile, you can use some of these words, but start exploring those words. They're they're kind of taking off points for you to learn how to talk about yourself in an authentic way. Um, Of course, exploring the career options is critical, but it depends on what age you are. If you're 17, you may not be ready to think about a career, but you might want to look at it and think about what college major or what college you may choose. And that is also a function of the platform. So you'll be able to sort of match your, your, um, your pursuits of study to what colleges that maybe, you know, have the best program for that in state or out of state. And then now I believe they're introducing an actual employer platform so you can see what employers are looking for um, that might fit and match your aptitude pattern and your um, your studies. That's great. I didn't know about the employer piece. That's really great. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been super helpful to me, and I'm sure it's been super helpful to my listeners. If people want to reach out to you or follow you online, where's the best place to find you? Well, you can certainly follow me at Betsy Wills at uh, on uh, on Instagram, Betsy Wills, and uh, but also on LinkedIn, Betsy Wills. Um, but I would suggest for the listeners to go on UScience and follow UScience because they're coming up with all the latest uh, professional information about what's happening with uh, with the platform itself, and it's always evolving and, and getting better. And we, you know, love having people spread the word that this is really a revolutionary way to discover yourself and find your best fit. And 
prevent uh, making a lot of missteps when it comes to what is a very expensive education. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I call it an expensive experiment, pursuing a, a program of study and not knowing where you're going. But um, I'm going to include all the links uh, for you, for you science, and for your TED Talk so people can watch that too. And they'll all be on the show notes page. So thank you so much, Betsy, for being here today. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. It's all about aptitudes. While interests and preferences are important in other ways, aptitudes are the foundation for what we do well and what will enable us to succeed. Clearly, I'm a big fan of U-Science. I've spent a lot of hours researching various career assessments and taking many of them myself. Believe me, there are a lot out there, and some are over-the-top expensive. I guess they all serve a purpose in some way, but I really believe that U-Science provides accurate, relevant, science-based data that can help people make informed decisions. It's important to mention that assessments are just one piece of the career exploration puzzle. We need to consider all of the factors that will lead us on a path where we find fulfillment, satisfaction, and success. That includes our interests, our values, and what I call our career deal-breakers. The combination of all these things is what will help us discover the path that is right for us. If you'd like to learn more about U-Science and take the assessment, I'd be happy to help. Feel free to connect with me at info at Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm so grateful you took the time to listen, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd follow or subscribe in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback and would love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Be sure and check out the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 112, where I will include all links mentioned during this episode. And if you know of a teenager who's unsure of their next step after high school, a college student rethinking their future career path, or a young person who just needs some guidance while evaluating their career choices, I can help. You can learn more about me and the coaching I offer at BetsyJewelCoaching.com. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.